Let me say welcome again to all of you. Thank you for joining us today. It's great to see such a, uh, a, a handsome-looking bunch of guys. And uh, this is going to be our final men's lunch for the season of uh, the spring of 2018. We'll um, reconvene again in September. So just be on the lookout for emails towards the end of August about that. At this time, I want to um, ask Charles Waring to come up and introduce our speaker today. Good afternoon. Good to see so many friends here. Um, when we were talking earlier, Hank said, uh, Charles, I want you to tell these fellas how you got to know Anthony. And um, I'd like to tell you that Anthony and I met uh, going deer hunting 30 years ago or going fishing 20 years ago or playing a game of pool um, or walking in the woods um, or having supper together a few years ago. But that's not true. Um, I got to know Anthony because I met him in church after uh, David Booman invited him to come preach at St. Michael's. And that was after Anthony uh, lost his wife, Myra, in that tragic shooting almost three years ago at Mother Emanuel. Um, so I, I learned Anthony's name through the newspaper and uh, shook my head and, and uh, became profoundly sad, as, as we all did. And, and then the story unfolded from there. And that's, it's not my story. It, it's, it's God's story as told through Anthony. And I'm going to let him do what the good Lord will do through him. Um, I've, had, I've learned more having lunch with Anthony in, in 25 minutes than I've learned in, in, in many years of sitting in a pew. Um, he is truly a man of God, a, a real gentle soul, and someone I, I hope to get to know better as uh, life unfolds in this holy city. So if you all will uh, please join me in welcoming Anthony, I'd be most grateful. Very good and proper introduction. As I told Hank when I sent my bio, he said, well, can we read this? going to take the whole time, you won't be able to speak. And I said, well, it's for your eyes only, just for your eyes only, so you get to know who I am. And I said, well, for some reason, the Holy Spirit kept saying, well, let Charles do it. Let Charles introduce me. And um, he followed the Holy Spirit's guide, because it's not about who I am, but it's about who I am in the Lord and who the Lord is in me. And so that's what we're here today for. We're here to, to talk about and to think about God's love. And so I want to thank each and every one of you for being here today, especially thank Hank and Charles for inviting me, and Charles for hearing the word that I brought from God at St. Michael's and believing that I can come here and do the same thing. And so we're going to use for scripture something that you probably learned in Sunday school or in vacation Bible school when you were 
little boys. And that is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I use that because if we're going to use for a subject, let's say giving God's love can lead men to Christ. Giving God's love can lead men to Christ. Because first of all, Hank, God wants you to know that he loves you. Charles, God says he loves you. Reverend Dewey, God loves you. God loves you too, guy. God loves each and every one of us. And we should have no doubt that he loves us because he shows us his love every day. The Bible says that what? God is what? Is love. One great big bundle of joy and love just for you and me. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave what? His only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we were led to Christ. We were led to Christ by the love of God. And I want you to understand just how much he loves you. Sometimes we may take his love for granted or sometimes we may think that God does not love us because somebody may be talking about fire, hell, and brimstone and we think that's all to God. But no, the greatest thing about God is love. I'm going to tell you how much he loves you. You see, he gave his only son, Jesus, to show us just how much he loves us. And the Bible says that Jesus came. He came and he came out of love to his own people. And what did they do? They rejected him. One of his own disciples that he taught and loved dearly, Judas, betrayed him. Jesus came out of love for you and me. And his own people stood in court, lied about him, lied about him committing crimes against the state. But he loves us so much that it didn't matter. He came. And when he came, they prepared, as they prepared to kill him, they spat on him over and over again. They hit him with their fists over and over again. They had no reason to hate him because he came to us out of love for us. But they hated him anyway. And then that wasn't enough. They nailed his hands and feet to the cross because he came to us out of love, out of deep love. And then they took strands of a whip weighed with lead balls and pieces of bone and they whipped him and they whipped him and they whipped him and they whipped him and whipped him until flesh was torn from his body and the skin was broken open. And then they stuck him in the side with a spear. And the water and the blood ran down, ran down his body. Now, he could have come down from that cross. He could have called 10,000 angels and said, hey, come on, rescue me. Take care of these people for me. Get them out of my way. Get them out of my life. But he didn't. He stayed on the cross. Why? Because Dan, because he loved you. That's why he stayed on that cross. He stayed on that cross because he loves you. And while he hung on the cross, he prayed what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And God answered his prayer. And when God answered his prayer, 
What happened? The way of salvation was open for you and me. That's how much he loved us. It was the love of God that gave us his son, Jesus Christ, that led us to salvation. And if we are going to lead men to Christ, we must give that same love, the love of God, to one another. Can you do that? Can you love your enemy? Can you love those who use and abuse you? Can, and let me ask brothers who have a collar like me, can you love your brothers who may not like you, or you may disagree with, or may be of a different denomination? Can you love them when they disagree with you? Can you love that brother or sister who may be different than you? Can you love that gay person who may be different than you? Can you love the person who's sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you right now? Those who you don't know, can you love them? Can you love those who hate you? Can you? Well, one day God asked me a similar question. <clears throat> he said, Anthony, can you love someone who killed your wife? Can you really love him? Well, Dylan Roof, the young man who killed my wife and eight other members, and, and Emmanuel, went to a barn hearing. I didn't want to go. I, I didn't want to have Dylan Roof on my mind. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know who committed the murder. I didn't know, and I didn't want to know. All I could think about was my wife. Did she suffer? Should I have been there? Or just what was going on? I didn't want to go to the barn hearing. You know, I was an agent for 27 years, and I've been to many bond hearings, and I knew you go to a bond hearing, they set a bond, the person go back to their cell. So what was so grand about that? And so my children, they kept begging me to go. And then finally my daughter said, well, Father, if you don't go, I'm not going. And of course, you know, our daughters have a way to a father's heart. And so I got up and I went. And I told them, I said, now, we're not going to say anything because we're new to this. I said, as a matter of fact, keep your mouth closed. Anybody ask you a question? You don't have anything to say. Don't even say I have no comment. Don't say anything. And we went to the barn hearing. I sat down. I was looking at my watch because I was ready to leave the minute I got there. I didn't have anything to say. And then God intervened. And he came in that whispering voice, a voice that I've been used to hearing. And he said, I have something to say. So I got up immediately. And as I was going to the podium, I'm saying, okay, God, come on now, because I got nothing to say. You said you got something to say, you better, you know, come on, come, come with it. And so I listened. And I listened as I was telling Hank and Charles this morning for the first time. I really listened to God because sometimes we don't listen. God loves us so much, he's steadily telling us things about what we should do, what we should not do. And sometimes we, we hear him, but we don't listen. <laughs> we hear him mumbling, but we don't listen. This is the first time I listened. And I said, son, I forgive you. My family forgives you. You need to repent and confess and give your life to the one that means the most too, Christ. I said, you're in a lot of trouble. But if you do that, no matter how much trouble you're in right now, if you do just that, your life is going to be all right. You see, I had to show Dylan God's love. Why? Because, of course, he's a murderer. 
which is a sinner, but I'm a sinner too. So how can I look at him and not look at myself first? How could I not show him God's love when God, for Christ's sake, forgave me? It's all about God's love, y'all. And after I did that, I experienced God's love fully. I experienced a peace that passes all understanding. God's love freed my heart a burden of anger and hate and everything that I was feeling. God's love assured me that he was in control, and that's what God's love does. But you got to know that he loves you. You got to believe that he loves you. You got to understand that he loves you and that he's in your life to bring you through trials and tribulations, setbacks and hardships and tragedies. That's how much he loves you. He's there to bring you through that and ever present help, it says, in trouble. So God's love is real, y'all. And he gives it to us every day. And he commanded us to give it that we may lead men to Christ. I remember there was a time when I wanted to be loved so much in my early days, you know, when I was young, you know, you're young and you, you think you're looking good and you think you got a nice rap and, you know, you're talking to the girl and you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to get, you know, I want to be loved the way I want to be loved and, you know, set yourself way up here. And that's the way I felt. How many of you want to be loved by somebody? Or how many of you, oh, okay, don't be scared to raise your hand. How many of you want to be loved by somebody? Okay. Well, I still do, but I learned one thing. See, the trouble about trying to receive the love you want keeps you from giving the love you should give. Because love is not about receiving. Love is about giving. Because the Bible says, for God so loved that he gave. He gave. He didn't receive love from us. He gave it. He gave love to us. As a matter of fact, God first loved us. We knew nothing about love until God showed us love through his son, Jesus Christ. Then we still had a hard time trying to grasp what love was. And some of us still today. But that's how much he loves us. He didn't receive it from us. He loved us first. And if we are going to lead men to Christ, we must do as God commanded us to do, love one another as he loved us, no matter what. No matter what. In Romans, the 12th chapter, 17th verse, it says, Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written. Vengeance, what? It is written. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If you're thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you give God's love to those who hate you and abuse you, Paul says you will heap burning coals on their heads. What does that mean? It means that no matter what somebody do to you, just love them. Love them. Why? Because your anger is not going to change their attitude. You being provoked by what they did to you is not going to change their attitude. It may make your life a little bit more miserable. But if you just show them God's love, you understand, maybe, just maybe, they'll change their wayward ways. Maybe they'll change their sinful attitude and give their life to Christ because you were a good example of God's love. 
And that's why I gave God's love to Dylan the best thing I could ever do because not only did it help me, not only did it help me to remain steadfast, unmovable in my love of God, but it also gave him the opportunity to give his life to God. Because giving God's love can lead men to Christ. And I believe it will. How many married people do we have here this evening? Okay. How many of you want to get married? Anybody? Oh, only one? Whoa, don't be scared to raise your hand. You're, not, you may, you're probably not by yourself. You just got courage enough to say you want to get married. But let me tell you something about this you may or may not know. I want you to listen to this carefully. Giving God's love to each other is the key element in the smooth operation of any marriage or family. Giving God's love, not your love, but giving God's love to each other is a key element in the smooth operation of any marriage or family. Before I marry any couple, I counsel them for at least six weeks, hoping that I will change their minds. That's my job. <laughs> my job is to help them change their minds because if they still want to marry each other after they, I get through with them, then I know they're in love. Because okay? I'm going to wear them out. And the first action question I ask them is, why do you want to marry her? Or why do you want to marry him? And y'all know the answer because y'all did it yourselves. What's the answer? I love her because I love. I love. Now most of us get married thinking kissing and hugging and touching, making us feel good and all those hormones kicking up. Oh man. Woo, I love. That's love, right? But real love is not about feelings, y'all. I hate to bust your bubble. Love is far more than just kissing, touching, hugging, and laying with each other. Love is a choice. It is a choice, and it is an action. You have to choose to love, and then when you choose to love, you have to do what? Do it. First Corinthians tells us all about it in that 13th chapter. God says love is patient. Love is kind. So if you're going to love them, you're going to love somebody, you're going to be what? You're going to choose to be what? Patient. And you're going to do what? You're going to be patient. You're going to choose to be kind. And you're going, you're going to be kind. He says it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it always protects. Always. No matter what you're going through with the one you love. It always what? Protects. You might get angry, but you never fail to what? Protect. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and it never fails. So that if you are truly in love with your partner or whoever, then your marriage should never fail. The love you have in your family should make all things possible. Because with God, all things are possible. I remember there was a husband and a wife who went to the doctor and because the husband was sick. For some reason, we always be the sick one, right? And don't want to go to the doctor and the wife have to make you go. So she had to make him go to the, hospital, to the doctor. And the doctor was telling him what was going on. And then he told the husband, well, you go outside and told the wife, you stay in here. He said, now listen, this man is about to die. But you can keep him alive. You can keep, just need to do a few things. And she said, anything, doctor, just tell me what I need to do. He says, now when he goes home, give him the remote control 
Let him surf the TV all he wants, no matter what channel he wants to get on. And you sit right there until he needs you. Don't go nowhere. Because if he gets hungry and he wants something to eat, then you've got to go up and go get it. No matter how many times he tell you to get up, you go get it, okay? And, and he may get a little angry. If he finds out you're gone, he may do a little cursing and swearing and carrying on. But don't just put up with that. And after a while, she was like, hmm. Okay, I think I can do that. I'm not too sure. Then he said, one more thing. You got to love him. Love him all day, love him all night. And when you get through loving him, if you want to love some more, love him some more. Just keep on doing it. She said, okay, I'm going to try that. And so she went outside and husband looked at her and she didn't say anything. They got in the car they on their way home. And husband said, well, what did the doctor say? She said, the doctor said, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> you see, and, that, and that's what happened in a marriage when you don't give God's love to each other. When you don't give God's love to each other, it dies. And the marriage, too, becomes one. And that one is not you. It's your partner. Okay? In Ephesians, it says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submit to each other means that, doesn't mean that you're going to walk over each other. Okay? It means that you're going to have a mutual understanding of God's love with each other. Okay? Her concerns are going to become your concerns, and your concerns are going to become hers. So that means that you might as well die. Right? Might as well forget you. Because if you're going to show God's love, then you're not in it. You're not, you're not in the receiving. You're in the giving. That's God's love. That's submission. A group of professional people did a survey on the definition of love, and I'm going to tell you how some kids saw love. They used a group of four to eight-year-old children. And one six-year-old said, love is when my grandmother, who has arthritis, can't cut her toenail because it hurt her. But my grandfather, who also has arthritis, cut it for her even though it hurts him too. How do you think they figured that out? They saw it being done. Okay? Then an eight-year-old said, love is when everybody is silent at Christmas so they can hear the real meaning of Christmas. Then I'll give you another one. One um, five-year-old said that uh, love is when my father is all sweaty and smelly and my mother still tells him he is more handsome than Robert Redford. <laughs> That's love. That's love. You see, children, our own children, learn how to love by what they see us do. And so what does that mean? So that means if you're giving God's love, then you can lead your children to Christ. Just with God's love. You can lead your children to Christ. In 1 Corinthians, and I'm about to conclude, it says in the 13th chapter, first to the third verses, God says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So what does that mean? That means if you're a member of a church, you don't tithe, you don't work in the church, you complain about the church not doing this and doing that, then you're only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you're in the choir, you don't go to the choir rehearsal, and you don't show up on Sunday because you are mad at the choir leader or the pastor, what do it means? You're only a what? Resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If you're a vestry person and you make decisions based on what you think, how you feel, and how much money you put in the church, then you're only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if you became a pastor to make money, to get a big church, receive a pat on the back, then you're the same thing. Only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Because if you're not doing these things out of love for God and out of love for God's people, then like James Brown said, you're just talking loud and saying nothing. That's it. Whatever you do for the Lord, we have to do it out of love for God and out of love for his people. And there was a young pastor named John Foster who did just that. In the 1700s, he was a powerful preacher who pastored a small church in Waynesgate, England, where he had, was making no more than $200 per year. Now his family grew, and as family grew, so did the material needs of his family. So John decided, I'm gonna look for a bigger church who can give me a bigger salary, who got a bigger congregation, and we'll be set for life. So John decided to search, and he did. In 1773, he was called to a large and prosperous church in London, and he gladly accepted. And he told his congregation, I'm about to depart to bigger and better things. And so they were loading his wagon, and as they loaded the wagon, they started praying. And John was like, what are they praying about? I said, I don't know, John. I think they want you to stay. John's like, no, we're not going to do that. And after they got through praying, they said amen. And by the time they said amen, everybody was crying. John's wife was crying, and John was crying, and John's wife grabbed his hand, and she looked at him. You know how wives could be, right? Honey. And she, Honey. And so John ran in the house, and he told the people, unload the wagon. We're not going anywhere. You see, John found it to be more important. John and his wife spent his entire 40-year ministry at that little church out of love for God and out of love for God's people. Despite a salary that never exceeded $200 per year, despite the call to be the president of the prestigious Bristol Baptist Academy, he remained faithful to his little flock. He believed that using his gifts out of love for God and out of love for God's people were more important and more fulfilling than gaining fame, money, and having a large and more prosperous church. You see, giving God's love can lead men to Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he commanded us to what? To love one another as he loved us. And one way that we can give God's love to others is first by listening. Listen instead of criticizing. Listen to people instead of jumping to conclusions. In James, the first chapter, ninth verse, the word of God says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And second, you can show God's love by helping those in need. Serve your brothers and sisters without expecting anything in return. Serve your wives without expecting anything in return. Serve your children without expecting anything in return. Put their desires first. That's God's love because God put us first because he took his only son to come to die for our sins because he loved us so much. And then last but not least, encourage people. Give them a pat on the back instead of a slap in the face. Congratulate them on the good things they've done instead of rubbing their nose in the bad things they've done. Lift them up instead of tearing them down. And last but not least, give. Give them your time. 
Everybody's worth somebody's time. Instead of wasting your time talking about what's going on in the world, the violence and killing our young people are getting involved in, give up your time and be a mentor for some boy or some girl who's out there doing something wrong. Give up your money to help a cause that supports the unfortunate and disadvantaged. Give God's love. Go to your family. Go to your church. Go to your community and give all the love you can. Give all of God's love you can. Then try to give a little more. For God so loved, he showed you love through his son, Jesus Christ. And his love led us all to salvation. And if we love one another, as God loved us, we also can lead men to Christ. Because that's what the love of God does. Giving God's love can lead men to Christ. Amen.